to chapter 2. Um, but as we do, I, I was sort of, as I was reading this passage, kind of reminded of, of an old movie. Um, some of you guys like the old, old movies, old John Wayne movies, perhaps. Um, and there was an old movie called The Flying Tigers. And I don't know if you use that phrase, you know, on a, it's a wing and a prayer, a wing and a prayer. Um, it actually comes from this John Wayne movie, The, the Flying Tigers. And uh, apparently in the movie, um, plane's been shot down, the wing is off, and there's only one wing, and, it, and he's trying to land the plane with only one wing. And at this point, I mean, the aerodynamics, I don't know, you know, it's a movie, who knows. Uh, some of you engineers could help me a little bit know that hey, that's probably not working too well. But the idea was, hey, the plane was able to be, was able to land, but it was one wing and, boy, God had to help. It's a wing and a prayer, a wing and a prayer. As I've been thinking about uh, Valley Baptist Church and praying for you all and thinking about my life, how often I, I realize that, in a sense, I need a plan and a prayer. A plan and a prayer. You know, the parts that I do, the parts that I've thought through, the, what I think, where I think God is leading. And I need to do due diligence in my life to be ready. But really, success, true success, comes from the Lord. The Lord has established His cornerstone and His provision. And today we're going to see this in the book of Jeremiah, uh, Nehemiah together. Now remember last week at chapter 1, it said, uh, Nehemiah was kind of got this report from Jerusalem and how the people of God were in great distress. Chapter 1, verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. Now, in our modern context, we don't really build walls around our cities, and we might not know why this seems to be such a big problem. But for the people uh, in Nehemiah's day, they were acutely aware of the problems. In fact, so much so that you see a proverb, uh, Proverb 25, 28, actually says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now, what is this proverb? Well, what it means is like if you don't have some kind of self-discipline, self-control in your life, things aren't going to go that well for you. If you're not trying to exercise regularly, your body's going to deteriorate. If you're not flossing and brushing your teeth, tooth decay is going to set in. Things are going to be taken from you that, that well, we're bound over to decay, but we can slow that process down. Um, if we don't have self-control in what we eat, if we don't have self-control in how we do our jobs, we're going to be in trouble. Well, the things that might be good things in our lives, like the job, like good health, they can be stolen from us. They can be taken from us because there's no walls. There was no wall of self-discipline. So this metaphor is, uh, makes a whole lot of sense, of course, to people uh, who lived in walled cities. The walls were the protection. The walls were the security. The walls allowed people who were merchants, uh, the, the tariffs and taxes to happen. It controlled who came in, to you, what came into the city, what went out of the city. Uh, the walls and the gates were extremely important. And without it, the people, well, 
Things could be stolen. People could literally be murdered in their sleep. There was no sense of security. The people were in great disgrace and great trouble. The walls had been broken through. In chapter 2, where we pick up today, we're going to see that in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, Nehemiah says, I took the wine and I gave it to the king, but I had not been sad in his presence before. Remember, Nehemiah was the cupbearer, the one who would bring the wine to the king and had the job of tasting it, making sure it wasn't poison. A good job, yes, unless there was poison, and then it became a very, very bad job all of a sudden. So here, our, uh, Nehemiah was saying, it was time for me to bring the wine to the king, but I was sad. It says, verse 2, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This could be nothing but sadness of the heart. And I was very much afraid. Why was he afraid? Well, realize that this wasn't a buddy-buddy relationship. These weren't good friends. You, the servant of the king, have one job. You need to be in the king's presence. You've got to put your game face on, you put your poker face on, whatever you want to call it, but you've got to be before the king. You better be cheerful. You better be happy because you're not trying to bring the king down. He's got his own problems. And if you want to keep your job and quite honestly, quite possibly keep your head. <laughs> you need to make sure you're appearing before the king uh, with a, a, a light and happy countenance. Um, so he was very much afraid to go before the king with this grieving, sad heart over Jerusalem. He said, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sorrowful when the city... Uh, where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? Right in the moment, right in the middle of the conversation, it couldn't have been long, it couldn't have been an extended time of prayer and fasting, but right in the middle, he says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, well, how long will your journey take? When will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that uh, they will provide me with safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, uh, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel uh, by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governor of the trans-Euphrates, gave him the king's letters, and the king also sent army officers and a cavalry with me. What do we see in this story in Nehemiah chapter 2? Did we see Nehemiah just kind of winging it? You know that phrase, right? The winging it phrase? That actually comes from, uh, you know, uh, the stage, right? From from dra drama and drama productions, 
winging it was when an actor uh, all of a sudden had to fill in perhaps um, at the last minute. Maybe he wasn't even the understudy and he's in the wings of uh, the auditorium learning the lines as he's going in to preach or, or to, to not preach movie for me to be preaching but as he's going in uh, to fill in um, on in the the uh, in the drama in the play uh, in the musical he's feeling he's having to come up with lines right then he was winging it well Nehemiah I don't think was winging it in fact what we see in Nehemiah was sincere conviction sincere conviction he says, so the king asked me, why does your faith look so down and look so sad when you're not ill? This can only be sadness, be nothing but sadness of the heart. As we're following God together, as trying to discover and discern the Lord's will, there are times when we come to that point where we know this is what God has for us to do. We know without a shadow of doubt, this is the right thing. We know that it is time for us to make this move because it's, it's from God. And all the debates really kind of are settled in our hearts and our minds because we know that, well, this is what God has called me to do. Nehemiah was willing to kind of drop the mask. He was willing to kind of be, take the risk, be sad in the king's presence. Why? Because he knew this was a calling of God. My parents have joined us today, and that's always a lot of fun to, uh, for them to be around. And I don't know if they'll remember all of these times and all of these seasons and stories, but there was one that sort of reminds me a lot uh, of things. And um, there was a time when my wife and I were young and finishing seminary, and as we were exploring what God would have us to do, there was an opportunity for us to follow Jesus. And we really kind of became convinced that God had called us to move to Syracuse, New York, and start a college ministry there. Uh, flew up and met with the state convention leadership for the Baptist Convention of New York, and they said, sure, come. We would love to have you. We think that, that this is a good thing. We just don't have any money. Uh, but you're welcome to come. We, we, we really want you to come. We can't pay you, uh, but listen, um, you know, we can give you some suggestions of where to live. I mean, it'd be nice. You're welcome to come. And I remember telling my parents and them thinking, this isn't how it's done. There are plenty of church positions out there. There are plenty of jobs that you can take. But my wife and I were convinced. And as we continued to pray, I remember uh, met the uh, 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 the Campus Crusade director who was at Syracuse at the time, and and my dad um, said that, and I, I had known him from some past experiences, like years ago we had met, and my dad said that was it for him. He was like, when you had that experience, and like, it's like God has sort of prepared the way. And so when even my parents were sort of backing me up on that, what they don't always remember is the stories that they told me of how they packed up the moving van and drove to seminary, drove out to Texas, stopping to preach revivals on the way. And while they preached revivals on the way to seminary, that was the money to pay for the trip to get to seminary. And when they got there, they didn't even have housing lined up. They just had a truck full, full of their, their belongings and a, a young, I don't even remember how old I was, probably about uh, six or seven years old, uh, to just come and let's figure out what God has. But they knew that God was calling them. 
When we follow the Lord, we follow the Lord with sincere conviction. That means we're not getting sidetracked. We're not getting, having someone pull us away. I don't even know if I even told my parents this back in the day, but when we were called to Syracuse, there was a job offer on the table that came up that summer right before we moved. Here's a church that wanted to pay me money. Why would I go and work for free? Why would we go and try to start the ministry? Because God had called us. We need sincere conviction. Nehemiah knew where God was leading. He wasn't going to get distracted. The Apostle Paul talks about this conviction in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 3. He says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier. A good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled with civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. When we come to that conclusion, when we know where the Lord is leading, and I'm not talking about just our own desires, right? We already talked about that one. It's not an I problem. It's not a selfish thing. But when we know this is where the Lord is leading, we can't just get distracted. Those distractions will come. But we need to say, no, this is the Lord's plan. We're st sticking to it. We're going to walk with it. It's not maybe what I want. I'm, it might even involve suffering. But like a good soldier, I'm going to obey my orders. I'm going to follow what God has. I'm not going to get distracted by the civilian affairs. Well, number two, what do we see in Nehemiah? We see reliance on God. We see reliance on God. Now, he had already spent time praying and, and, and fasting uh, for the situation. We saw that in chapter 1 last week. Your church has engaged in some time of prayer and repentance and thinking about what God is calling you to do. But even in the middle of the decision, even when it came to that moment uh, of choice, we see Nehemiah do what? He stops and he prays. The king said, right, in verse 4, what is it you want? Nehemiah in the middle. I mean, I don't think out loud. I think this was very much under his breath, in his heart. He was just praying, Lord, give me success. Lord, open the door. God, fulfill your promise. God, you never fail. You never will. I'm trusting in you. I prayed to the God of heaven. Prayer keeps us humble. Prayer reminds us that God is God. It's not all up to us. It doesn't all depend on us. God is God. And success is ultimately in his hands. I thank you for your prayers for us in the college ministry. And I've shared that it's been a bit of a difficult time for us right now. This is not uh, the easiest moment uh, to be a college minister. And as I've thought and talked to my other people in, in, in similar ministries, they are likewise struggling, struggling. Numbers are down. How do you make it happen? You know, last Friday, one of the young men uh, in the college ministry, we decided, you know, we're not going to do the regular meetings like we have. We're going to do some more like random Friday night kind of Bible studies, that kind of like outreach events. This past Friday, 13 people came and joined us. 13 new people who had never come before. And this young senior um, at Towson shared like this passionate message and people were just kind of struck to the heart. Now, 
I got to be honest, I've been doing this a long time, and I preach, and I teach, and I, I hope share God's word passionately, and God is often moved. But now I'm seeing here, in the midst of the struggle, the Lord has done something that only the Lord could do. It, was, it wasn't my, oh, wisdom, you know, uh, as a you know, seasoned campus ministry vet veteran. In fact, the largest campus ministry director, we were talking about this, and he said, how did you have so many come you know, come, what did you do to make this happen? I want to say, well, you know, we kind of figured out that this semester was a different one. And, you know, I can certainly take credit for all of this. It was the Lord. That's how it happened. It was Jesus. That's how it happened. Did I, it was actually nothing I planned, nothing I did. It was all Jesus. We sometimes think that, that, oh yeah, yeah, my plans, I'll figure it out. But it's the Lord who gives success. Nehemiah stopped. He prayed. He realized that it was time to be humble, that he had to be dependent, and that success is ultimately in God's hands. Proverbs chapter 2 says it this way, uh, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding, not from your great intellect, from the Lord. Verse 7, He holds success in store for the upright. He is the shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. One of the ways the world is going to know the Lord is as we walk with him, depending on his power, we reveal his majesty and his truth. Not God, People aren't going to come to be part of Valley Baptist Church because of how great the people of Valley Baptist Church are, even though you guys are great people. They need to come to be with the Lord. We need to see the Lord's strength and his power flowing through our lives. Next, we see in Nehemiah, and I love this part, it wasn't all just like, well, I'll just hope, hope, hope God, God takes care of it. Um, it wasn't just sort of like without any plans. In fact, we see in Nehemiah, when the king asked him questions, he clearly displays that he had given forethought and planning. He had a very clear goal in mind. He knew where God was leading him. He set a timetable. He, he, he understood how long this was going to take and what needed to happen. He'd even calculated the resources. Let me show you. Look how Nehemiah asked exactly for what he wanted. He said, I, I, I need to rebuild the walls. I, I want to go to the city. He, he had a clear goal. And then he knew what he needed from the king. Verse 7, if it pleases the king, may I have letters. Give me a protected journey. May I also have a letter to Asaph for timber. There's, it, I, I'm going to need some resources. The people aren't going to have the resources to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the gates on their own. Could you give me timber? Would you be willing to do that, king? And because of the gracious hand of God, he granted my request. He knew it was from the Lord. He had a plan, but he knew that it was God's power that would ultimately make it come into, into fruition. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. The king also sent some army officers and cavalry with me. I think Nehemiah knew he didn't actually need that. If God was calling him, God was his protection and God was his strength, he doesn't really need the army. But what's interesting to me is that God in his graciousness gave even more than Nehemiah asked for, even more than was in his plans. He gave abundantly more 
than we could ask or imagine. That's what Paul says in, in, in the book of Ephesians. He talks as a prayer to the one who is able to give immeasurably more or abundantly more than what we ask or imagine. To him be glory and praise. When we're in God's will, we're in the center of his plan, when we're trusting him, even as we make our plans and provisions, try to do the best job we can, God's graciousness gives abundantly more. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus shows that it is appropriate for us to lay out these ideas and, and plans and, and set the timetables and figure out and have a plan moving forward. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a, ta a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you're going to get this project done, can we do it? If God's calling us, I know we can because his power is there. His provision is there. But we need to be those that calculate and think through what are the next steps, what needs to happen. That's our responsibility. You see, proper planning shows that we are placing the correct level of significance on God's work. Proper planning shows we're placing the significant or the right level of significance on God's kingdom work. God hasn't called us to just sort of float through life, but instead to invest our lives, to strategically be the stewards of our lives, but to be those who walk uh, with him in his power and use what he has given us as he gives us insight and, and understanding to make those proper plans as we follow him. It's a plan and a prayer. It's God's power and who God has created us to be as the people, as his people. Well, you might think I, I don't have this all together. I, I can't figure out where we need to go. I, I don't know everything. And certainly we do need to go to the Lord in prayer. But let's face facts, we're not all experts on everything. Not for our lives, not for the church, and not for this nation, not for the world. If we were, maybe we'd already be in charge, right? Uh, but we do have together as God's people a resource. That resource is first in Jesus but then also in each other. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, it just says, for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. You know, this is a time and a season that is kind of difficult. It's not wrong to stop and listen to each other. Usually there are key values that each person is bringing to the table. Not always, but usually key values. It's like, how is that actually a good insight? How is that actually a good value? Now, there may still be a, a way forward, and we're going to see in Nehemiah, there were people that were distractors and people that kind of pulled away, but uh, he, he was a singular vision of building the wall. But, you know, I'm guessing as cupbearer to the king that uh, Nehemiah was not much of an architect, that he was probably not really a construction person, and that ultimately he had to rely on the expertise of others both from outside the organization and from within. God provides everywhere where God guides. So let's continue to seek him. So I ask you today, what are the convictions of your heart? 
Are they starting to move in a certain way for your life and the way God is leading you? What are the convictions that you have about your church? Are they the eyes desire? Or are they really like, no, I think this is really where God is leading. If they're not there yet, that's okay. It just means seek the Lord. How are you praying? Are you praying just continually showing your dependence on God's provision? Are you continually giving him the glory and the thanks for what he has done? And then finally, how are you planning? How are you using the mind and the expertise uh, that is within the congregation, within yourself, and even without and beyond? How are you planning, bringing together the best thoughts to try to discover what does God have for us? This is a time as a congregation, that you all are doing planning and thinking and praying. But for all of us, it's a time that we're doing a lot of self-reflection. I can't tell you how many of my friends have changed jobs during the pandemic. I keep thinking, I would think nobody, everybody's just holding on to a job, hopefully. But things are moving. God is shifting things around. It's an interesting time for us all to reflect, God, what do you have for us? So as we go forward, um, as you move in your walk with God, continue to seek God in prayer. Continue to seek God and asking for his wisdom for a plan. And keep seeking God, depending on him for your success. We see this in Nehemiah. I want to see it in our lives as well. Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. This is the most quoted verse, verse 22 in the New Testament. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus made the point that this is about him, that he is the cornerstone, that he and he alone died for sins, and rose again to establish God's kingdom in this world and in our hearts and in our lives. That when we put our faith in Jesus, we become part of his people. We receive the forgiveness that he purchased by his death on the cross. And we see the promise of eternal life that he guarantees by his eternal life and his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Notice that the builders rejected him. Today, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you've never said yes to him, would you say yes? Because the religious people of Jesus' day, they were the builders. They were religious. They thought they were honoring God, but they didn't have a relationship with God. If that's you this morning, this is the pearl of great price. This is the whatever it takes, humbling yourself, coming to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Give your life to him. He is the cornerstone. Today, for all of us, though, we all need to remember that if we're building apart from the Lord, we build in vain. Without the cornerstone being the cornerstone of our plans, the cornerstone of our heart, the cornerstone of our church, the cornerstone of all that we do, it's ultimately 
doomed to collapse. Jesus said very simply that a person that hears his words and puts them into practice, that's like the expert builder that built his house on the rock. Today, when it's slippery outside, well, we're thankful that our houses are built on a firm foundation. Let's build together as God's people seeking his heart, seeking his plan, and seeking his success, his provision for success, building only on the cornerstone, which is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for worship today. Lord, show us where we're not trusting you, where we're not following you. We're not building upon your son, our savior and king. And God, if someone doesn't know you today, bring that conviction. Bring more to know you. Thank you so much for the privilege of being your people and following you, our great shepherd. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.